So today, we're, we're just going to have, a, we're not, we usually are in a series of some kind where we kind of track along for a few weeks on a particular topic or passage or something like that. Today is just a one-shot deal uh, for, to get us started off the first of the year. Next week, we're going to start a series on biblical themes. Uh, we're going to look at, at themes that go from Genesis to Revelation, like the image of God and holiness and the temple and different things that you just, man, whenever you read scripture, you, you find these things are, 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 are just threads that run all the way through. So we'll start that next week, and hopefully you'll be here to join us for that. Uh, there, there'll be a class that goes along with that that Matthew will be teaching on biblical themes as well. So um, be on the lookout for that. I think you can find that information on the website or the app. Uh, so today, I just want to I just want to talk about how how to start the year off well. Uh, I know it's a time when when some some people are are, are resolution people, some people are anti-resolution people, and and what, whatever you are, wherever you find yourself, I, I think we can kind of look at this as an opportunity to look back uh, on what kind of year we've had and, and look forward to to what what kind of people do we want to be. We we know really clearly by now that we can't control what kind of year we're going to have as far as like the circumstances around us. We we know that, right? Uh, we have zero control over what happens, but we do have a little bit of control over what kind of people we're going to be, regardless of what happens, right? And so what, what, what kind of people do we want to be? What, one of my favorite things to do at the end of, of each year, and I've, I've been doing this for a few years now, is to look at uh, the Google stats for the, the previous year. They, they kind of post these statistics of what people have been searching for, for for the last year. And it's sort of fun to track track along with these. And, and you, can, you can do this on Google's, uh, do they have a page? I don't know. You can do this on the internet. Sort of wizardry. So I, I just like to look at, at uh, kind of the trends of the things that have been searched for more last year than they ever have in the history of Google stats before. So I want to share some of those with you. Uh, one is, um, and, and I can understand this because I know people like this, the, the phrase how to move with plants was searched more than how to move with pets or how to move with children. But more people are interested in how to move with their plants than, than how to move with any other, other thing. I thought that was fascinating. Um, the term sea shanties was searched at an all-time high. And I'm pretty sure that's due mostly to my two sons, who for some reason are into sea shanties now. If you don't know what that is, Google it. And you can be a part of a large number of people who have Googled sea shanties in the last year. It's just a style of song. It's kind of silly. It's like pirate songs. It's kind of goofy. Um, uh, another one that was searched, and some of these are a little more meaningful, was how to start a business was searched more than how to find a job. And you kind of go, well, I, I might can interpret something out of that. Like people are, would rather work for themselves than go and work for somebody else. Or the idea of owning their own business or being their own boss is more appealing than, than working for someone. Some of these, I think, say a lot about what our, our world has been going through. Um, the term soulmate was searched more last year than any other time in, in, in the last 10 years or so. Uh, people want to know, is, is, is there a soulmate out there for me? Is that a real thing? Can I find, can I find my soulmate? Which kind of speaks to kind of a loneliness and a longing in, in the hearts of a lot of people for companionship and uh, to be close to somebody, right? But the one that really st stuck with me uh, out of, out of the, all the lists was that the search for affirmations was the highest it's, it's ever been. Affirmations, just like in general, like people would search, like, how do I find affirmation? What, what is there that can affirm me? Oh, man, I think, that is, I think that is a powerful statement about our culture. 
is, is that we, we need affirmation. We, we're sort of built for that. We, we need somebody to tell us that we're, we're valuable and we're special and we're important. But the fact that we would go to Google for that says there's something about our relationships with other people that's not giving us the affirmation that we, we think we need. So people would turn to, turn to the Internet for affirmation rather than to the people around them or to the God who created them. I think that speaks something about kind of what our world's been through and how it's impacting people, mental health, uh, and, and all those kind of things. So when, I, when we look at that, we, we kind of go, well, there, there's some things in here that are just built into human nature. We do need to be loved. Like, we're created to be in loving relationship, right? We need that. And when we can't find it, then, then it starts to impact other things. We, we, we start thinking about soulmates and affirmations from the internet and, and looking for, for ways to improve our mental health online. All those things are happening. But what, what I wonder is, is if sometimes what we really, what people really think they want is, is just happiness. Like, uh, find me a path to happiness, and, and if, if, if having a lot of plants is going to make me happy, then I'm going to have a lot of plants. If, if sea shanties is going to make me happy, then I'm all about sea shanties. Um, but if a soulmate, if that's really what I need to be happy, then I, I need to go, I need to find a soulmate. And if I have to turn to Google, I'll turn to Google. If, if being affirmed in, in who I am and having somebody say, hey, everything about you is great, if that's what I need, then I'm going to go find that. And because I, I want to be happy, because happiness is the ultimate goal, right? What if it's not? What if happiness is not the ultimate goal? What if there's something bigger and better than our own personal happiness? And this is what I want us to look at today in John chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to John 6. And we're going to go through this whole chapter, and it is, man, it is, it is packed full today. Uh, so uh, buckle up, get comfortable, hope you brought a snack. Just kidding. Uh, we'll get you out of here on time. But there's so much in here, but I, I think we're just going to scratch the surface today. But I, what I want us to do is I, I want us to see what Jesus offers us that's bigger and better than our own personal happiness. And how sometimes we get confused about the order of these things. I think it's possible for us to think that we pursue life with Jesus because it will bring us happiness. And that's backwards. We're going to see that here in a minute. So let's start in, in John chapter 6. Let me just kind of give you some background here. Uh, this is uh, sort of a, a turning point happens in Jesus' ministry. The first few chapters of the gospel of John, he's, he's sharing about how Jesus is, is starting to do some miracles and, and he's gaining a lot of popularity and there are a lot of people who like him. But the religious leaders in John chapter 5, the religious leaders go from being annoyed at Jesus to wanting to kill Jesus, right? So that's where the religious leaders are. He's still really popular with the people, and so in John 6, he preaches to a, a large crowd, a crowd of thousands of people. And so the people still like him, but the religious leaders are very uh, opposed to him. And, and in John 6, this, this huge crowd of people that he teaches to, they get hungry, and Jesus, you know, very famously and miraculously feeds all of these people from five loaves of bread and two fish, right? Feeds thousands and thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. What impact does that have on this group of people? Well, in, in verse 15, uh, we read that it, the people were so impacted by this that they intended to come and make him king by force. And you're like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty dramatic reaction. Like, we're going we're gonna to force this guy to be our king. The, Israel, Israel already had a king. It, it was king, king Herod was the king, um, not the Herod from, from the birth story, but a different Herod. He, they had a king. Uh, they can't just make somebody. They just can't pick their own king. That's not how it worked. It wasn't a democracy. But they had decided, like, we, we want this guy. Why? Why this guy? Why did they, in, a, in one day, they decided, we want this guy to be our king? Because he fed them. 
And, and for people that lived kind of in a, in a daily subsist, subsistence, that's fun to say, subsistence uh, sort of environment where, where you work today so that you can eat tonight. That's, that's kind of how they lived. We don't really live that way. Uh, you could probably take a day off work and still eat, right? But if, if they didn't work, they didn't eat because eating was survival and, uh, and, and bread was all about uh, surviving. And so for them, like whoever can just give them food whenever they want to, like just miraculously produce food, that guy should be our king. That is a game changer for our entire culture, right? So they wanted to make him king by force. But then if you skip ahead about 50 verses to verse 66, here's, here's where we are. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Like, wait a minute. That's a huge, that's a 180 degree swing from, hey, we, we're going to, you, you have to be our king to, man, people who are actually even, even close to Jesus walked away. What happened in those 50 verses? That should be a question that comes to our minds. What happened in those 50 verses that make people go from, we want you to be our king, to, man, I'm not sure I'm buying what you're selling at all. Well, let's find out. Let's find out what happened. So after Jesus feeds uh, the 5,000, uh, he and the disciples go across the lake. The disciples sail. Jesus walks because he can. And uh, the next day, the crowd follows him. They, they are looking for Jesus because he just fed a huge crowd out of nothing, basically nothing. And, and they, they want more of that. So they follow Jesus around to the other side of the lake. And they're looking for more of the same. Let's pick up in verse 25. I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to try to get through 10 or so verses before I, I stop and talk. But it's hard for me. Okay, here we go. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what Jesus is going to do here is he, he is going to push this crowd of people to a decision point. They, they've, they've been fine just following him along, like, like watching him heal people. And then they get this incredible feast that just comes out of nowhere. And right now, following Jesus is pretty easy and it's pretty popular. Lots of people are doing it. He hasn't really asked much of them. But in this section, he's going he's gonna to push people to a decision point. And here's the decision that they have to make. Like, what's, what's most important to you? Like, what's really at the center of your life, of your existence? So when the people come to Jesus on the other side of the lake, they're looking for more bread. I mean, it says that super clearly in the text. They're looking for more food because typically we have to work pretty hard to get a meal like that. And Jesus just gave it to us for free. Let's do more of that. Like, that's what they want. And Jesus says, man, I really want you to want something else more than you just want a free meal. I want you to want something else more than just a free meal. And for us, a free meal is like, oh, big deal. You know, we, 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 can, we can pay for a meal if we need to. But, but for them, like, bread was life. I mean, it was, it was this, 
the goal of every day was to get some bread so you could survive. And so the people say, well, well just give us, give us the bread all the time. And Jesus says, this is it. You're, you're looking at it. I am the bread. Jesus is telling them, I am what you need to survive. I am. I am what you need to survive. And you, you think it's about bread. Bread is good. I mean, that's why he gave them bread. I mean, he wasn't opposed to them eating. He fed them. But he's saying, look, this, this physical hunger that you have is nothing compared to the spiritual hunger that God has placed in you from creation. And the only way to satisfy that, Jesus said, is, is through me. I am the bread of life. All right, let's pick up again. Verse uh, 52. Man, I'm, I'm skipping so much stuff that's really good here. We could talk about the manna thing. You guys should look this up. The manna thing. All right, let's just talk about it. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's the first of the year. I mean, what, uh, it's, it's all downhill from here, right? So they, they bring up the manna thing because they're like, hey, you remember when we were in, in, in the desert, wandering in the desert for 40 years, and God, God fed us manna every single day. Our ancestors, he fed them manna every single day. They didn't have to work for it. They just walked outside. There it was. It was free food every single day. Jesus, could, could we do that again? That was a pretty cool thing. And Jesus is like, you're missing something really significant about what, what was happening there. Like, that wasn't, that wasn't God just kind of, uh, you know, being uh, so bountiful and generous because the people were so good and loving and kind. The people got to the promised land that God had promised their ancestors. And, and their, God says, hey, it's time, it's time to go in. And they send the spies in. And the spies come back. And they have this report. It's a, it's a beautiful place. But, man, it's, the people there are huge. I don't think we can beat them. And so the people have this opportunity to step into this, this land, this creation, this nation that God created them to be, to be the people God made them to be. And they said, no, thank you. They said, no, thank you. It's, it costs too much. It's too risky. That's why they had to eat manna in the desert for 40 years, because they said no to the land of milk and honey. So Jesus is like, you're, you're missing something huge about this, like, the manna wasn't the plan. The plan was to live in the land of milk and honey, right? And they got manna as a concession instead of that. All right, so I'm sorry. I'll try not to do that very many more times. Uh, verse 52, let's pick up here. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay, again, so much... So much going on here that's really good. Let's try to stay focused. So he's starting to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And we're like, whoa, this is, this is crazy, right? You, you, you can't talk like that. That's going to scare people away. And ultimately, a lot of people laughed. And, and you kind of think maybe the reason why the people laughed is because Jesus talked about cannibalism. But that's not what they heard when Jesus said this, okay? So there's, there's something that would, that would go on in, in a culture where people were very familiar. <clears throat> Pardon me. Son, could you help me out here for a minute? Nice. Um, where people were familiar with animal sacrifice, 
this concept of eating the flesh and drinking the blood of a deity would not have been strange. They wouldn't have thought about cannibalism. What they would have thought about is, is pagan worship. When, uh, when, a, in a, when a pagan takes an, an animal to the, their pagan temple to sacrifice it, what they believed was happening there was that, that the, uh, whoever they're offering this to is going to be pleased with this offering, but then is going to inhabit the offering. And so what happens with the offering is the priests who, at the, who work the temple, they get some of the offering, some of the, the meat from the sacrifice for themselves as a part of sort of their payment for doing their job. But then the people who offer the sacrifice get the rest and they have a, they have a big feast, right? So to take a, a sacrifice to, to the temple in a pagan culture was saying, hey, we're going to have a big party tonight with the stuff that we took to offer, then the pagan deity is going to bless this and inhabit this in some way, and then we're going to eat this big feast, and then we're going to be filled with the God that we just sacrificed to because he inhabited the food, and then we ate it. So this was, this was something they would, have, they would have connected the dots pretty easily and gone, like, Jesus is, but, but Jesus is talking about, like, that's a, that's a pagan ritual. We don't, we're, we're Jews. We don't do that. That's not, that's not what we believe happens when we make a sacrifice. And so they're, they're, they're really confused by what Jesus is saying, but he's saying, like, here's what he's saying. It's like, you think of bread as the thing that you need to survive. So bread for you equals life. And he's saying, I'm here to tell you that there's something better than the life you get from eating bread every day. There is an eternal kind of life. And he talks about this in the passage we just read. There's this eternal kind of life. When we think of eternal life, we think of what happens when we die. When the New Testament writers and Jesus specifically talked about eternal life, they weren't talking about what happens when you die. They were talking about the quality of life you have right now that you will have forever. They were talking about an eternal kind of life, a life that is focused on things that last and not on things that fade away. So this eternal kind of life, Jesus said, there's, there's a life that's better than the life you get from just eating bread every day. There's an eternal kind of life. And the way that you get that eternal kind of life is to eat a different kind of bread. It's me. Like, if you want this eternal kind of life, I'm the only way. I'm the only way. And he's pushing them to a decision point. Can you see this? He's pushing them to say, do we, do we want the eternal kind of life bad enough? that we will sell out everything for Jesus. I surrender all, right? We sang that just a few minutes ago, right? Jesus is saying, I, I, I want you to sing the song. I want you to sing I surrender all right now. Like, you're either with me or you're not with me. And if you're with me, I, I have to be right at the center. Like, I have to be the thing that you need to survive. I have to be, when you wake up in the morning, you think, man, how am I gonna, how am I gonna make this the best day possible? The answer has to start with Jesus. That's what he's saying. Like when I think about this new year, we've got a whole new year and it feels like a blank slate and, and there's a lot of uncertainty and, and fear that comes along with that, but also some excitement and possibility. And you go, how can, how can I make this the best year I possibly can? For a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, the answer has to start with Jesus. Because if you want the eternal kind of life that only Jesus offers, the only way to get that kind of life is by taking him in every single day. Just like we, we take in food. I mean, we have, this, we have this physical thing that happens in our bodies, right? This is how we know that we need to eat. Because uh, sometimes we're stupid humans. And we forget, like, you have to put things into your body if, if you want to keep going. And so there's this thing that happens in us, in our stomachs, that makes us remember, oh, I have to eat, right? And we call it hunger, right? For, for a lot of us, we don't go long enough between meals to experience that very often. It's like, oh, man, it's been, it's been five hours since I ate. I'm starving. 
No, you're not starving. I mean, you just you could you could go a little bit longer. Oh, this is why another sidetrack here, by the way. This is why fasting is such a, a significant spiritual practice, because fasting is kind of this reminder. Like, I need Jesus more than I need food. Like, I can go I can go 24 hours without food, and I'll be I'll be fine. I could go 48. I could go 72, and I'll be fine. But man, I cannot go that long without Jesus. I, like, I need food more than I need Jesus. That's what fasting reminds us of. And so that's why uh, I think fasting is so significant. Where was I? Because that was a tangent. Okay, yeah, so this is about looking at Jesus like we would look at food and saying, I, I, I want to be hungry for Jesus. Like, I want to know if, if I don't spend time with Jesus or if I don't connect with him or if I'm, not, if I'm not doing the things that Jesus is doing in my life, if I'm not participating in that, then I'm, I'm getting hungry. I should get spiritually hungry. You remember, you remember the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus wants us to develop this, this kind of spiritual hunger for him. So he tells the people, look, look, I... I have to be at the center. If you want this eternal kind of life, I've got to be right at the middle. I have to be the thing that you need to survive. So let's, let's finish up uh, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's one of my favorite lines from Peter. Uh, he's kind of a knucklehead, but when he gets it right, he really gets it right. Jesus, Jesus has told, he's pushed these people to a decision point. He's like, it's, you're all in with me or you're not with me. Like, up to this point, it was pretty easy for people just to kind of be around Jesus, to follow him, and to say, oh, man, I like what you're saying. Like, this kingdom of heaven stuff, this is good stuff. Man, I, I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And, and now Jesus is saying, all right, it's, it's, it's put up or shut up time. It's, it's, this is where the rubber meets the road. You're either all in with me or you're not with me. And so many people walk away. Why did they walk away? I think part of it was their religious culture didn't match with what Jesus was saying. Their, their culture was built around the temple and around the laws and the sacrifices. And Jesus was saying, look, what, whatever you've experienced before, whatever your connection, the way that you've connected with God in the past before, like things are changing. And now the way that you connect with God, now the way you practice your faith, it starts with me. And before the crucifixion and resurrection, this was a tough pill to swallow. We, we have to we have to give these people a little bit of credit, those, those who walked away and say, hey, but Jesus hasn't yet died for the sins of the world and risen from the dead. And he's asking these people to go all in with him. That was a big ask. And for most of them, they couldn't cut it. They just said, this is too much. I can't make you, you're just a person. I can't make you the center of my faith. But the disciples, the 12, knew better. They knew he wasn't just a person. They said, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of what? eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. The life that you offer us, Jesus, is, is so much bigger and better than the life we get just from eating bread every day. And you're the only one who's offering this. This is the only way we can get it, is through you. So they stick with him. Now here's, here's why I, I want us to kind of make this personal. 
If we live as though the end goal of our life is our own personal happiness, we will leverage our relationship with Jesus to that end. If we think, and, and this, this is a mistake that, that I think we fall into, and it's a, it's a really easy mistake to make just from my perspective in trying to preach the word faithfully. It's, it's an easy mistake to make, to, to, to say that if you follow Jesus, you'll be happier. And we go, well, I want to be happier, so let's try this Jesus thing. But following Jesus is not a means to happiness. Following Jesus is a means unto itself. It doesn't matter if it makes you happy. He deserves it. He has earned your devotion, whether it makes you happy or not. Because if we're going to be really honest, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, there are times when following Jesus does not make you happy. He asks us to do things. He commands us to do things that are really difficult. To forgive people who have hurt you. How often does that make you happy? I mean, it may lead to some peace later on, which brings some joy, yes. But in the moment, you're like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Reckless generosity. Like, in the moment, it is hard. It is painful to give to the point where you're sacrificing things that you want to have in your own life. Jesus puts things on us all the time to live according to God's standards when it comes to human interaction, when it comes to finances, when it comes to sexuality. To live according to those will not always make us happy. But we don't follow Jesus because it makes us happy. We follow him because he's, he's the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the King of Kings. He's earned it. He deserves it. And he is the only way to the eternal kind of life that we are created for. I think happiness comes. I, I do believe that I am happier because I follow Jesus. Let me, let me make that really clear. Most of the time. But I also believe there are moments when doing what Jesus wants me to do doesn't feel like happiness. Why do I do it? Where else am I going to go? He's the one who has the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? That's what he's calling us to. That's the decision point that he's pushing us to. Life with Jesus is not a means to an end. It is the end. So, we don't serve Jesus because it's going to bring us peace and joy. We serve Jesus because he deserves it. Peace and joy are the gifts that come along after that. So here's what I want us to do as we start the new year. This is what I want for myself, and this is what I want for you because I love you. I care about you. I want you to thrive. I want you to experience the eternal kind of life that God offers you. I want us as a church family to experience this, and I want people that don't know Jesus at all to experience this. I want them to know that there's an eternal kind of life available for them through Christ. So here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to want Jesus more. I want us to develop a spiritual hunger for Jesus. I think most of us uh, would be uh, hard-pressed to say that we always want Jesus more. I think it's really easy to kind of fall into a mindset where we can say, I've I have enough Jesus. I have enough Jesus, right? I, I, I got baptized. I did the thing. I said the, you know, I said the prayer and I got baptized and, 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 and I became a Christian and, and, and I try, you know, I try. I try to be good. I, I try to go to church. I, I, try to, I try to be generous. I try not to punch everybody I want to punch. Like, I, I try to do the things. Like, isn't that enough Jesus? I'm not sure I want more Jesus. Well, I, I want us to put that in a context of relationship with another human being let's say a human being sitting next to you like the people that are in your life the people that you care about that that you love 
Do you ever get to a point with them where you go, like, internally, you probably wouldn't say this out loud, where you go, that's enough of you. I've had enough of you. <laughs> I don't need more of you in my life. I've had enough of you. Yeah, I think we can get that way with people sometimes. But do we really mean that? Is that really what we want? If it's people that we love and care about, do we ever, do, do we really want to not grow in our relationship with them? Do we really want to not understand them better? Do we, do we not want to, to dig deeper into their lives, to develop more trust, more love, more kindness between us? Man, I don't think so. I think we have those moments where we go, that's enough of you. But we, that's not a long-term thing. These are people that we love, and we, we want more of them. Ultimately, that's what love means. And so to say I have enough Jesus, it's kind of like saying, um, I've had enough food for my life. You know, I've, I've eaten a lot. Guys, if we, if we could pile up everything I've eaten, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this room would hold all the food I've eaten in my life. That's enough. Certainly that's enough food for one person for one lifetime. I think, I think I'm done eating. I think I can just quit. I can just count on what I've eaten in the past to take care of me. How's that going to work out? Physically, that does not work out, right? It's, I'm not going to survive that way. Spiritually, it's the same principle. I, I don't have enough Jesus. It's not like I've, I've, I've studied enough and I've learned enough and I know enough Bible verses and, and I, I've, I've done enough good things in my life. Like, I'm good. Like, that should carry me until I die. No, I, I need Jesus to survive. I need him every day. I, I, can't, I can't have enough. I want more. So here's, here's the concession, though. When we don't really want Jesus more, here's, here's what I want us all to be able to say. I want to want Jesus more. Are you with me there? Like, I think we can all say that, right? I want to want Jesus more. than I want to want more than I have. So this is a good place to start. And, and I think just, uh, just one shift that we can make in our minds that will help us want Jesus more, develop our spiritual hunger, is just something I would call exposure. Just, just having the things of Jesus in front of us more will help develop our hunger. So this is something we, we've learned at home. Like, um, believe it or not, you guys know how much I like cookies, and I talk about cookies a lot, and Oreos specifically, because that's really the best cookie. Like, if we put a package of Oreos in the pantry where you can't see it, we might not finish the package before it goes bad. That's, that's true in my house. Believe it or not, that, that happens. But if we set that package of cookies out on the island in the kitchen where you pass by it every time you go through the kitchen, which you have to go through our kitchen to, go, to get outside and go anywhere, that package of cookies will last maybe a day. <laughs> we'll just burn through it. Why? Because it's in front of us. It's exposure, right? So this is why my wife puts apples and oranges on the island, <laughs> Right? And sometimes they get eaten before they go bad. It's, it's amazing. What, what if we could put the things of Jesus in front of us more? Instead of putting them away in the pantry and bringing them out on Sunday mornings, what if we had the things of Jesus in front of us all the time? I don't know what this looks like in your home. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's putting a Bible out on, on your kitchen table or wherever you, wherever you pass by or you sit a lot or sticking some Bible verses places. Maybe it's people. I mean, you know people that sort of just radiate this connection with Jesus. Just being around those people sometimes can develop your, your spiritual hunger. So I just want to encourage you uh, to create some exposure uh, to Jesus. So here's a couple of suggestions, just some really practical things you can do. And then we're going we're gonna to close with communion here in a little bit. 
Uh, one is to just interview Jesus. That sounds like a weird thing to do, but just interview Jesus. If you want to get to know him, if you want to develop a hunger for him, uh, the more you get to know him, the more you're going to want to know him and, and want him in your life. And just ask him some questions. You're like, well, he's not really here, Adam. I mean, okay, I don't, he doesn't talk to me. I don't know if he's talking to you. Okay, no, he doesn't, doesn't talk to me. He doesn't speak verbally to me. But what, what if you ask Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, when, when, when people are mean to you, how do you respond? And then you go to the Gospels and you look for the answer. Were people ever mean to Jesus? How did he respond? What, what, what am I learning about Jesus from that? Like, what kind of person really is this? A lot of times we want to skip straight to the application. Well, what does this mean for me? Well, Jesus, he's on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So we go, I'm supposed to forgive people. But let's back up for a second and say, what kind of person in the process of dying forgives the people who are killing him? What kind of person is this? Ask Jesus. Interview him. Ask him. Jesus, did you ever say anything about marriage? Did you ever say anything about finances? Did you ever say anything about sexuality? And just, just interview him. Just go through the Gospels and say, well, what did Jesus say? What kind of person is this? What did he think about these things? Like, what did he believe? So that's just one suggestion. Another suggestion that you're going to find odd uh, is I, I want you to watch a TV show. I want you to watch The Chosen. Now, now um, I don't recommend TV shows. I really don't do that. Uh, but this one, there's something about the way Jesus is portrayed in The Chosen that just resonates with me. Like, it just clicks with what I read about him in the Gospels better than any other on-screen portrayal of Jesus I've ever seen. And, and let me be really clear. It's not like, it's not like the Bible, you know, on-screen. They, they do a lot of speculation. They fill in the gaps for a lot of things, and, and a lot of it is just guessing. We're just guessing maybe this is what it's like. But the way that Jesus' person is portrayed in The Chosen, man, it just makes me want to be with that guy. I want to be with that guy. I, I want to be wherever he is. I want to do whatever he's doing when I watch that show. So I, I would just encourage you, if, if, if that's something, like you want to develop a hunger for Jesus, uh, check it out. Give it a shot. And finally, uh, just uh, actually follow Jesus. We talk about following Jesus a lot, but what, is it, what does it mean? To follow Jesus means to actually let him lead you in the things that you do. So it's, it's waking up in the morning and going, Jesus, where are we going today? What kind of things do you want to be, me to be a part of? What kind of things are you going to be doing today? Like imagine Jesus like walking beside you through your life. What kind of things is he going to be doing? What kind of words are going to be coming out of his mouth? What, what kind of actions is, is he going to be taking? What's going to be his response to the people that, that he sees, that he interacts with? And just follow him. Listen, you don't even have to believe that he's the son of God to try this. If, if you're kind of a person where you're like, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm all in with Jesus, just try following him around. Like after you've interviewed him, you get to know how he thinks and you understand like what really is important to him. And then just follow him through your life for a couple days and just see. Like, what, what kind of difference would this make in my life if I actually followed Jesus? I let him lead me in the decisions that I make with my money and my relationships and my time and my job and my church, and I let him lead me. What would that look like? Here's, here's what I think would happen if we, if we do th things like this. These are, this is not the whole list. This is whatever you come up with. But if we do things like this, I believe it will develop a hunger in us to want Jesus more. And the good news about being hungry for Jesus is he's always available. He's always available. So that's why we're going we're gonna to close our time uh, with, with communion today. And this is what communion is about. Can I get a communion kit there? Can you? 
Oh, thanks. You guys are so helpful. When Jesus uh, sat down with his disciples at what we call the Last Supper, he said, this is, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat it. And can you imagine these guys thinking back to this, this John chapter 6? They didn't know it as John chapter 6. They knew it uh, as the sermon the day after the feeding of the 5,000. Hey, guys, you remember the sermon when all the people walked away from Jesus but us? You know, you remember that sermon? And he's saying, this is my body, take and eat it. And they're thinking back to that, and they're going, man, at that time, Jesus was saying, like, we need, to, we need to want this more than we want bread. Like, this gives us access to an eternal kind of life that, that just, just living doesn't give us. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is the blood of the new, this is the new covenant in my blood. Like, like I'm doing, I'm, I'm creating a new relationship between God and humans. Like, you're going to have access to the very throne room of the Father through me. I think he wants us to cultivate a spiritual hunger for this. So we're going we're gonna to share in this together today. I'm just going to guide us through this uh, as we take the, the bread and the cup together. So if you would um, be prepared to take the bread. Brothers and sisters, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the bread of life that you're invited to take every single week when we gather together. It's just blowing my, it blows my mind when I think about this. I'm sorry. We're united by this. We're united to Jesus. We're united to each other by this. Not this little piece of bread, but this act of taking Jesus into us. It unites us. It breaks down all the walls that would divide us. This is who we are as a church united by the broken body of Jesus. Let's take the bread together. Friends, this is the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. It's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins and allows us to stand before a righteous God and not be condemned, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's us. You get to stand before God righteous. Do you feel righteous? It doesn't matter. His blood makes you righteous. You get to stand before him righteous today. We as a church will be presented someday as the bride of Christ, righteous and holy because of the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. Friends, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Let's share it together. Would you stand? We're going to be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, we come this morning just grateful for the invitation to consume Jesus, to have our spiritual hunger satisfied by the only one who can bring us eternal life. We're grateful. We're sort of blown away that you want us. This is what you made us for. And Father, my prayer is that we, as individual followers of Jesus, as, as a church family, and for those who, who aren't yet even sure if they're all in or not, 
that we would want you more. Would you develop in us a hunger for Jesus, a reminder that we need him every day, a desire to put him right at the center of our decisions, our thoughts, our actions, our words. Would you develop that hunger in us? Give us patience as we develop it. Give us confidence that the eternal kind of life is worth whatever it costs. Would you do that in us and through us, Father? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.